0: You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red for the final time this year as we reflect on another tough away day for Nottingham Forest as they lost 3-0 at Manchester United last night. We'll look back on that game and we'll also look ahead to Chelsea on New Year's Day. Touch on the League Cup quarterfinals and shirt sponsorship in the company of, first of all, on location from Manchester, Michael Temple. Temps, how are
1: you? Morning. Looking a bit like Gary Burrell was holding a phone up, aren't I? But yeah, apart from uh, that, I'm okay. Good night in Manchester for me after the game, at least. And yeah, good to catch up with you boys.
0: Good, 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 good. And second guest today, also back, well, back from Manchester, is Greg Mitchell. Greg, how you doing?
2: Yeah, good. It's like changing of roles today. I've uh, I was des- designated driver last night and uh, got home nice and sober with a clear head, so it might be a completely different perspective from me today.
0: Well, there's, there are a few um, perspectives on the game. Actually, we'll come to the game in a minute. I should just say thank you to everyone who attended the live podcast. I put that at the top of my notes um, just before Christmas. Freezing cold, so uh, a good turnout. Very much appreciated. I think it went well. Greg, any asking for selfies after appearing on the stage for the Q and A or anything?
2: No. Don't no. don't fuel my friend's little uh, thing he's got against me. No, nobody's recognising me. It's how I like it. Thank you. <laughs> Good, good. Right. Um, so yes, thanks very much to everyone
0: who attended and we'll do another one in the summer because it went very well. Old Trafford then, um, I think there's a couple of schools of thought on it. There's the school of thought that it was absolutely disastrous and Forest were as bad as they were against Arsenal and Leicester. And there's the school of the thought that, you know, enjoy the ride, let's all be positive and uh, just move on. Temps, where are you on it? Where, where Are you in the middle or firmly in one of those camps?
1: Yes, yeah, somewhere between the two for me. I think we saw what Man United are and what they can be in this post Ronaldo era. Bruno Fernandes being at the heart of the team, but having 11 players that can play football at pace with precision, you know, between some of the months and years on the training ground, pulling out set piece moves like the one that led to, to, to Rashford's goal. So I will credit Manu. I can see why they've recovered from the start they had and why they're a force we reckon for, From our perspective, another lesson in the level, and finding that when you go to one of those top six sides, maybe seven with Newcastle now, and find them on song at home, it's going to be really, really tough. So I'm not down in the doldrums because I didn't necessarily expect us to get anything from that game. We've spoken before about the run of fixtures after Chelsea where we have to move. But yeah, I'm not going to be down in the doldrums too much. But for me, fair play to Man U, They, they tore us apart.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, um, it wasn't it wasn't Arsenal, it wasn't Man City, that was too early in the season, it wasn't Leicester, it wasn't great. I don't think Forest played terrible, I don't think they played well. They created enough to create goals, but again, I don't. I just want to see, we'll come on to this, an away plan I think can work, and I don't feel like playing like that is going to work, unless they're really good individually, and I don't think they were. I think if I was rating the players, it's not like they came off the pitch and I thought everyone was a seven out of 10. I thought Ryan Yates was and Wayne Hennessy was, although he was a bit of a couple for the second goal, but it was a few too many five out of 10s for me. And we'll come on to the subs and stuff like that. So I'm not, I'm with temps. It wasn't an absolute disaster, but it wasn't great. It was a little bit
2: anemic for me. What about you, Greg? Yeah, well, I'd say tonight a, a different opinion on that is. When we went to Man City, when we went to Arsenal, you looked at the stadium and you went, oh, this is nice. Oh, we're losing, but isn't it nice? Yesterday, although we we weren't the best team by any stretch of the imagination, but I always felt like we were close to being in it. You know, when we got that disallowed goal, I thought, yes, this is it. We've got a genuine chance now. And, you know, nine corners, loads of set pieces. They weren't very good when we got them, but we got the chances and we were getting opportunities we've just got to be so much more clinical. Because if we're going to be having nine corners, we've got to make sure at least the five or six of them are getting over the first man. So that was infuriating. But with who's coming around the corner, and you notice with Scarpers' friendly games, he's been taking every set piece. So there is hope there. Like I say, it was nothing like that Man City game. Man United are a top six side. They were supposed to beat us, and they beat us on paper quite comfortably. But we did have our chances. And there are players in that team that showed a bit last night that I'm sure we'll get onto individuals. But yeah, I didn't walk out doom and gloom like some in that away end did. And they, they were well within the rights to. But I, I drove away thinking, you know what? There's chances there, there's opportunities there, these massive away games where we're going to be going there and expecting to finally get that second away goal and some. So yeah, we, we're not out of this. We, we can do it. We've just got to figure out how to do it, and I don't think it'll be long. What do you make of the away tactics
0: attempts, the setup? Because the, the, these games aren't going to decide if Forrest is up, but they do need to get a few points out of Southampton, out of Fulham, out of Bournemouth. Do they need to change the way they're going about it, or can this work?
1: No, we've changed the way we're going about it, don't we? Hot, away wins in the Premier League extremely hard to come by, as we know, but we're not going to get them playing like that. And you're not going to get them when you don't change the approach once you go behind, particularly when you find yourself 2-0 down in the in the Premier League. I think the uh, attacking setup now is a symptom of the personnel we have and the mix that Cooper wants still being a little bit unclear because... Alani looked lost, didn't he? The, the bit that he's there for, winning the physical battle, he found himself well and truly um, swallowed up by Ferran. Uh, Brennan Johnson found himself in Luke Shaw's pocket for much of the much of the first half. I think that the, the defending defending from the front is so important in the Premier League, and we've never quite found a way to to do that. Um, we didn't. Counter with the requisite pace to trouble man United, who are very mobile, even their defensive midfielders are, are very adept on the ball and can break it up and play so it 's hard to be critical when we, we 're talking about sheer ability and individual talent to make these 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 systems work and Manu seemed to have that last night; they had a real clarity in how they wanted to play, um, they moved the ball quickly, changed the point of attack, and got him down the sides. A lot, whereas we, for me, looked uh, a little bit blunt in possession, a little bit rushed, resorted too often um, to the to the long ball to players who are aren't necessarily adept at winning the long ball, at challenging for um, headers, didn't pick up any second balls, and Owany, who was supposed to be that physical outlet, had a had a bad game. So, so no, the. the the um, the some of the issues we saw last night will have to be addressed with recruitment rather than a tweak to the system because you can't open yourself up on the road too much. But yeah, there were, there were times last night where we, we looked really blunt and the setup looked ineffective.
0: What did you make of our, our knee, Greg? It was a bit weird. He was playing like from the left, like Rashford mm-hmm. was. And it, I can say, I guess they wanted, I think they looked like they said to him be Keenan Davis last season and run 80 yards and have everyone bounce off you. And it didn't. Well, it didn't really work, did it? I mean, I, I think that they they don't
2: seem to have that balance right in attack, do they, Greg? Um, yeah, I mean, sorry, one of our signals went a little bit there. But with, with Taiwo, I saw a little bit of a different side to him last night. I saw a lot of energy in the first half and a lot of attempts to try and get forward and make something, create things that possibly weren't there. It was weird that he was so far on the left and like a big, strong striker like that, get him down the middle and get things through to him. Uh, but I saw some hope there. I saw the fact that we should try and stick with him and, you know, give him another go. Southampton away, perfect opportunity, big, strong, you know, get, get him in there and get him in the middle. But, yeah, I don't think any of our players had a good game last night, but I certainly don't think Taiwo... Had one of his worst. I thought there was more promise there with him than uh, than there wasn't.
0: How much they miss Gibbs White attempts because Lingard went off injured. Uh, this Dennis came on, didn't do a lot. Surridge came on, didn't do a lot. You take a couple of these players out, and it it shows, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, well, they need to find a way to play without him because you know I'm I'm hearing it's probably another couple of weeks at least, unlikely to feature against um, Chelsea. Um, we miss him. I mean, he's been our most promising, probing player. He's so much more comfortable on the ball, really adept at playing that forward pass. And while we've got three or four players in and around the squad and Scarpa being added to that mix who would call themselves number 10, what we've seen it with our own eyes is him being far more effective than the, the competition in that role. So he will be a miss. Um, Greg's seen far more of Scarpa than I have. I think it would be really, really tough to... Uh, unleash him for a Premier League start. I think he'll be easing from the bench at some point. I know there's some debate as well whether or not he'll be eligible to play against um, Chelsea. But we thought we'd crack that position, that um, tactic of getting Gibbs White on the ball between the lines and playing that probing forward pass. And this this will set us back with no question. Um, I'm, just, I'm just checking myself for a sec. I do sound like a bit of a doom-monger compared to the um, ongoing optimism of of, of Greg Mitchell, um, and I, I don't I don't want to come across like that because I, I think pre the break and in some of those performances, uh, particularly just before the World Cup break, we we seen so much improvement, and that we saw it continue in the in the in the cup game against Blackburn, and I do expect that spark to come back in that run of fixtures that we have as as January progresses, but I just think in the context of a post Man United pre Chelsea chat we have to acknowledge that we, we still haven't found a way to be effective against the, the more accomplished um, teams. And I think Gibbs-White is one of the X-factor uh, means of getting a break, getting a goal against sort of play, countering with pace and, and undoing those type of teams. So, yeah, I, th- I think he'll be a huge miss.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm closer to you than... Well, I don't think Greg's been overly optimistic. I don't think... But I think, I, I think you have to acknowledge it wasn't a great performance but it hasn't changed my opinion of whether forest will stay up or not because i think there's going to be quite a lot of these away games where they don't play well and they lose but there's going to be away games they have to play better and they have to pick up points and i don't think this is one of them but they're going to have to go to southampton and places like that and they're going to have to find a way of being a lot more effective yeah i mean how much of it was their own doing greg
2: In terms, if we look at the goals Were all three avoidable? Uh, The second one, yeah, looked like a bit of a goalkeeping error. Uh, And the third one, the one I noticed, was Worrell just like, like, I don't usually, he lost his man and then it just opened up and then, you know, off off they went and scored. And that's the difference between these Premier League teams that when they sniff a chance, it's a goal, isn't it? So we just have to be on our game for 100 minutes out of 90. And it's so frustrating that, those little things cost us because we, I do think we were in the game a lot more than we weren't and it is all right. I've seen it all online saying, you know, happy clappers, just happy to be there, but I drove home last night and I drove home past Stokes ground and it was a real, remember where we were this time last year and where we are now, Uh, we've got a great chance to get out of this and it's not even a mess at the minute, you know, we are in this fight, we've just got to let it click and like I say, you know, one goal away from home and we're, we're coming into January, Is that's bad, isn't it? But somehow the home form and, the you know, the odd away point or what have you, it's kept us right in it. And like I say, we'll, we'll strengthen more than others in January. So I think that we're not in a, a bad position as some of us, you know, especially on Twitter. I don't know why I read it all this morning. <laughs> some of us would, would like to believe we are. So, yeah, I'm I'm fine at the minute. And I think we get results in the next two games.
0: I hope so. What well, did you make in midfield, Thames?
1: Um, Uncomfortable on the ball at times. Um, closed down under a really effective press. I mean, I, I, I'm going to join the Casemiro fan club later today. Mm. I thought he was excellent, both defensively, organisationally. And the ability to spray that flat pass, 50, 60 yards in both directions to get tricky wingers on the ball in space um, was, was, was good to watch, wasn't it? I'll, I'll also just rewind into the question about the, the Man Manu goals. I'll, I'll credit them for the corner routine. From from their perspective, that's something that they've worked on. They've worked on the timing, they've worked on the accuracy of the pass and that the finish from Rashford was there. The one that disappointed me was the uh, Martial goal because he, he side-footed that and I think Hendo saves it. I think if he had his time again, Hensi would probably clear that with his foot. He's tried to get down and, and smother it and it's, it's, it's almost gone through him frankly so i think that was an avoidable avoidable goal but yeah that 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 man united midfield has a, a a group of players where you're not compromising quite the way we are and if i pick him i get that but i lose the other if i pick him this bit improves this this bit doesn't improve quite so much and it got me thinking about Proton's point uh, when he's speaking to you fellas last week about improving the spine and i i just wonder if if the that the calling that we had pre-Christmas for centre half and striker might be usurped by the the need to get a true all-round gritty butt ball playing midfielder who can affect affect us at, at both ends of the of the pitch because that was the difference to me yesterday really that back four was comfortable in control their wide boys their offensive players were getting the ball in space but the heartbeat of that side was the the strength in centre mid and for various reasons, the Czech Koyate injury, the, the Gibbs-White injury, um, you know, one or two other bits and pieces. Mangala coming back after a bit of a bitty uh, first, first half of the season. Freud looking, I thought, particularly ineffective last night. And Yatesy, to his credit, doing what he always does, trying to get something going through sheer um, work rate and determination. The mix didn't look quite right last night. Mangala didn't look as comfortable as he had done. Freuler was, I, I thought, a bit a bit anonymous. Um, he actually put himself about and, frankly, deserved that goal, which we'll, we'll come on to in a minute, I'm, I'm sure. So, yeah, but that's it, isn't it? You're going to have these times when players are injured, suspended, unavailable, whatever, and you've, you've got to deal with it. And we, we're not able to put our best midfield on the park at this moment in time.
0: Yeah, I agree. I thought Yates was the pick of the three, again. I feel for Mangala, because he's not really got going. I think he needs to run a run of games, but it wasn't his night, and I'd agree about Freud. That midfield balance is interesting and in how they solve it and how they find it for the second half of the season. Uh, Temps mentions
2: the goal, Greg. Well, have you seen it back since you got back, the disallowed goal? No, I haven't. And At, at the time, we couldn't understand, because we were told... I don't know whether you'll be able to tell it. We were told they were checking for the, the handball, weren't they? And then suddenly it was offside and apparently it was so mm. unfortunate because I didn't even realise Bolly was anywhere near it but yeah at the time I was celebrating like anything and my mate Steve next to me says no look at keeper running towards the ref and then you knew straight away so and what a time to score <laughs> absolute game changer of time so once that got disallowed it kind of it sapped everything out of us really and second half started we we showed a little bit in the second half but it kind of it kind of went into a damp squib and it, it was over, wasn't it? So it was a real shame and just showed that we get the opportunities. We we can get them, can't we? So take something from that, definitely.
1: Mm. Can I just come in on the VAR point? So um, we, we got in the bar afterwards and, and watched the the replays and the, saw the VAR, VAR process again in, in, in real time. Um, in the stadium, no one knew what was being checked for. The Man United fans were singing an anti-VAR chant while that was oh. ridiculously long weight went on and what had actually transpired while the editor was presenting the footage to check for a handball, he played it too far on and found this deflection off the <laughs> foot and then went to check for the, for the offside. They checked and checked and checked that, um, that incident to the nth degree. And the question I've got is do they, do they do that? If that's, if that's a Man United goal being checked in, in that atmosphere at that stadium with the reputation of that club, do they go to the nth degree and find something incidental in the clip that they've only seen because they've rocked and rolled it so many times slightly further than they thought to? It clearly went nowhere near Yates' arm. And only because the editor then watched those extra few seconds did they see the, the touch off Bolly's foot and the, and the goal. Ultimately, it was a correct decision. It did hit Bolly. It probably was going wide off Yates' head. And they disallowed the goal. But the frustration in the ground, the time taken, the fact that nobody in that entire venue of 73,000 people could see with the naked eye any reason why that goal was disallowed. And only when it was watched 20 times and fast forwarded beyond the instant they were checking did they find a reason to rule it out. I thought we were really, really hard done to there. And I just just question whether... It was applied in the same way in both directions. There was a foul in the build-up to one of the Man United goals, for example, that, that, that wasn't checked. It was a pretty clear foul. <laughs> I, I think we can rightly feel aggrieved by that, even though they ultimately made an accurate decision.
0: I suppose one of the ironies is the goal or disallowed goals. It was actually a good delivery into the box. It's probably the only one. I mean, how in the ground, Greg, was it even worse? Was it like, were, were
2: fans getting frustrated at the quality of delivery from Forrest? Yeah, because like I say, nine corners. We don't get nine corners at home in the Premier League. So, to not get them past the first man so many times is where it's critical that if Scarpa is good enough to play, he's going to be set pieces. Or, you know, Gibbs-White, or I think when Nico came on, he put a, a, a couple of good balls in, so set pieces you do them all day every day on the on the pitch and they're infuriating however Man United's first goal I thought oh it's poor corner you know along the bottom and it it was great so sometimes it can work but I don't think we were meaning to make it hit the first defender every single time it seemed so that was really frustrating and it got the crowd moaning you know everyone was just annoyed but We'll get the opportunities, we'll improve them and we'll keep practising and it, it will get better that well.
0: I suppose the question is, let's assume Lingard's out, Temps, and Gibbs White is out as well. The question is, Dennis or Scarpa? Because, you know, like you've said, it's a tough one to throw Scarpa in. But do you persist with Dennis? Because uh, I'm firmly in the camp, he hasn't done a lot. What, what, do you, what would you be doing against Chelsea?
1: Well, look, the the popular shout is going to be for Scarpa, isn't it? I think you're all, you're always a better player when you're out of the team, or when your clips are from a league in which you've which you've dominated, which Scarpa has to a point in in Brazil. He ain't going to just click into a, a a struggling at this stage Premier League team and set it on fire. But if a decision's been made behind behind the scenes that he's the man, then he needs to be um, educated. And eased in pretty slowly, I think, from the bench at first. Too big a risk to, to start an improving South American at such a critical point in the season. So I think Dennis probably finds himself just ahead at the minute. In, I know in the in the in the Texas centres overnight, you didn't think Dennis had his, his best game. Nobody did, but he, he was looking for work. He was more effective than Surridge, who who got no ball um, and therefore couldn't affect the game. But Dennis was a bigger influence than than Surridge yesterday. He's shown flashes, like the headed goal that he took really well. That he, he he can be a threat at this level. Hopefully, he knows that he hasn't fulfilled himself at this point. He certainly hasn't endeared himself to um, Forest fans to any particular point at this moment in time. We've just got to be uh, careful that we don't throw Scarpa in too soon, expose him, see see him. Um, struggle and then cast him aside, and one of those boys you've mentioned comes back. So that that will be a difficult call for Cooper, but he's he's level headed, he's cool headed, he's not um, going to bow to you know any shouts on the terraces. And for that reason, I think he's probably got Dennis fractionally ahead of Scarper at this moment in time. Hmm. What about you two disagree, Greg, don't you? You me? both disagree. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh...
1: <laughs> Greg's like, get Scarper in making captain. <laughs> go on
2: Greg what do you think oh, I, met, I met him in John Lewis uh, last week lovely play everyone's <laughs> met him I think
0: I'm the only person <laughs> yeah, I've do, met him.
2: just go and collect something from John Lewis and he'll be like yeah he's good he seems very good in South America but that means nothing over here does it so I absolutely agree with Temps that it's a risk but I think it's a risk that we have to take because Dennis has you know, he's had plenty of minutes. He hasn't really shown anything yet. Is Scarpa that spark? And I feel like if we don't play him, if he's allowed to play against Chelsea, that's the first thing. Also, it's an irrelevant conversation. If we don't play him against Chelsea, then his first game's away at Southampton, which is tough. And then you're looking at, what is it? I can't remember the next home game, Leicester at home or something. So before you know it, you're so far into the season that... It, the horse might be bolted. So if he's available against Chelsea and our only other option is like starting a Dennis or any, I mean, none of us know what's going on in training. Then if he is in that starting lineup against Chelsea, it means that he's good enough in Cooper's eyes and I'd be excited to see him. And the key thing is the set pieces, you know, Gibbs White not going to be there. Uh, the others looking at him, there's no one there that's been putting him in very well. So if he's fit enough and if he's there in training, I'd love to see him start because that's a massive sign for us.
0: Mm.
2: And the, uh, Yeah, I, I think I'd,
0: I'd probably lean towards Dennis still. I, I don't think he's done a lot. I just worry that you play Scarpa and he has a nightmare uh, and then it, it, it knocks him back three or four weeks. I think I might save him. But, uh, yeah, but I, is he
2: not going to have that, if that's the case, is he not going to have that nightmare in three or four weeks? Let's find out straight off for me. <laughs> find out and take the risk, and could it be a game-changer? I suppose we
0: trust whatever Cooper
2: sees in training he'll mm-hmm. see more than us. He'll know if he's ready.
0: Um, what about Surridge? He's the other one. Uh, players always look better, and they're not in the team. He came on, he didn't do a lot last night, but is it a bit unfair to judge a 30-minute cameo at Old Trafford when the game's gone, Temps? Does he still need that run for us to really judge him properly?
1: Surridge has been... Pound for pound, one of the best signings we've made in a long, long time. His contribution at the back end of last season was immense. He surpassed everybody's expectations. However, the analysts will say he's not quick enough to be a threat in the Premier League. Now, the way he plays and the, the nature of his goals, the one-touch finishes, the that called under pressure, the ability to find a corner. Um, You you might say that well, pace doesn't matter in his game. Pace is not an important part of of his game. Unfortunately, I think he finds himself trapped in that that narrow bit of no-man's land in that he could be a 20-goal championship striker, but I don't think he could ever be a 10-goal Premier League striker. I think he's a brilliant player. One of my favourite Forest players off the back of what he did last year. I just think that if, if we think he's the answer in this global super league that we find ourselves playing in, he'll get found out for that for that that lack of that lack of pace. And that's the only conversation that's going on in Forest. If if this lad was a second quicker over sixty, seventy metres, you'd be you'd be starting him every week because he's got all the attributes, hasn't he? He's just like I said before, lovely feet, cool finish, brings others into play, unselfish runs, drags defenders. Is he quick enough to be a to be a threat in the Premier League? I I, I don't think he is. And and I'm a I'm a big Sam Sam Surridge fan. I I just I just can't see it. He'd have been frustrated yesterday because he came on wanting to affect the game and the ball never found him. And he, he can't do too much about that. But he, he did. He he looked blunt because um they marked him tightly, gave him close attention, shut down his supply, and he, he made no impact. I'm really sorry to say it because you just heard in my in my in my preamble there. I qualified the answer by saying he's a player I really like and respect, but I don't think he's the answer to keeping us in the Premier League.
0: Do you think the thing with Sam is, Greg? You need to. Uh, he's a great finisher, so you've got to create the chances for him, haven't you? He'd look really good in a team that's creating a lot of chances, like they were in the in the Championship. But in the Premier League, if you're not getting the chances, and you're not bringing. He probably, does he have to bring a bit more to his all-round game? I mean, it feels harsh criticising him after that game. He was brilliant against Spurs. Uh, do we just need to see a bit more of him? But does he need to bring a bit more to the party, in a
2: sense, as well? Yeah, it's catch-22, really, because he's, we're not going to give him 90 minutes, are we? Unless there's mm. two or three more injuries. He's not going to get that run to prove that he can be good enough in the Premier League. So, we just, we're not going to see it. He's coming on for 20-minute cameos when the game's pretty much already gone uh, he's just not going to get that opportunity so sadly I I agree with Temps to be honest that I think if he went out on loan in the championship or even if someone signed him it'd be an incredible signing for them and he'd do what he did for them with what he did for us last season um, but with only 25 spaces in this squad and we drastically need to improve in certain areas you know the the Taiwo, Surridge, Jono, Dennis the four of them We've got to get another piece, a quality, quality striker up there to get, you know, to get these 10 goals or these five away goals that we might need over the next few weeks. Because they're not coming at the minute, especially with Gibbs Gibbs White out, Lingard, you know, he pulled up. You don't know whether he's going to be a few weeks. Um, We've got to to add quality, but I think we've got to add quality quickly. And unfortunately, we're going to have to, you know, remove one of these squad players for that to happen.
0: Um, let's talk about Chelsea then a little bit. We can talk about individuals and the team uh, shortly, but home and away are chalk and cheese temps, aren't they? But do we need? To, I've seen the word intensity in the comments a few bit, a, a fair few times. Do we need to see just more intensity and more pressing? Is your? Uh, I know you've discussed it before, but need to see Forest get up and at them a bit more than than they did against
1: Manu. Yeah, you do. I mean, you want 11 players with the work rate of Ryan Yates, don't you? You have to affect it, get amongst them. I think Chelsea will pose a specific threat that we struggle with and that they have a lot of pace up front, right? So if if they have and Sterling for a starter, uh, Mason Mount in behind, there's a a lot of players there who will um, want to run at our back four. And I think I'll I'll be interested in the Forest team selection. We'll get onto that in a second, I'm sure. But they they do pose a threat which you, you could... Uh, make a case that we struggle with, just having out-and-out pace and and, and dribblers up top. However, so did Crystal Palace. And we dealt with them really effectively to the point where Zaha found himself having a strop for the last half an hour and becoming um, quite anonymous. So I I think the message that I'd be giving to the Forest players pre-Chelsea if I was Steve Cooper is, we have to outrun these. We have to make the most of this atmosphere. The fans are still with us. We've had some good results at home specifically the the Liverpool game, which was it was a, a bit of a burglary perhaps but the, the the palace game, we absolutely deserved to win if we bring those levels of intensity discipline, consistency, we can get at them. I say all the time I, I don't think you're going to win many games in the Premier League with thirty percent possession, so I hope we find the way of, of of looking after the ball. I'm slightly concerned as we all should be really about the the players who aren't available. To us, because I think our best eleven gives anybody a game at, at home, but they're a are quality side that need to be respected. They've, they've got this. They haven't had the new manager bounce necessarily. He's trying to impose his style of play on the team and his his way of working. But he, he's had a, a pretty tough baptism, so they shouldn't quite be the same prospect as uh, Man United away. But yeah, you you're right. We'll we'll have to find an intensity. Um, and a means of getting at them, unsettling them, not, not allowing them to feel comfortable on the ball, not, not allowing them to have 70% possession um, if, if we're going to get on the front foot and go after them. How are you
0: feeling about it, Greg? Forrest are hurt by a couple of injuries, but back on home turf where Form's you know, chalk and cheese, are you, are you feeling pretty upbeat
2: about it? Yeah, I watched the Chelsea Bournemouth game uh, before our game last night. And uh, they went two 0 up pretty comfortably, but then Bournemouth really started to go at them. And I think if you don't show them the if you don't show them the respect, you're going to get chances against them. They're a team under massive pressure to get in that top four, and I think if we can get in them early, we can really cause some damage. And you know, I'm not saying we're going to beat Chelsea at home, but I think we could get we could we could certainly draw against them on our day. The injuries are critical for us, and it's who's back. And who's going to play? But, yeah, that that ground has to be as big a fortress as it ever has been for the whole of, you know, last season and the beginning of this season Uh, because it's a huge, huge game. And we can't be going into Southampton feeling like we did against Bournemouth and Fulham where these are the games where we get points because that is game of the season, Southampton, for me. And it's a huge chance as well. So these two games are big. These two games are the ones that can... Get us out the top three with a few points in hand as well, or really make us realise how how much of a struggle this season could be going forward.
0: Mm, I think that's the problem with the away form. That if, you, if we're not going to pick up any points away, it cranks up the pressure on all these home games. Because now I take a point against Chelsea, and that's a great result. But then you, you then it puts pressure on the next away game. I just think we just need to find a way. Of, got two away points need to find a way of getting 12 away points through the season or 15 somehow. And when that happens, I, I think it will change the, change the picture a bit. But I'm still very optimistic about this game. Um, let's talk about team selection. I've scribbled down an 11 here and I've written pick from a position of... And ...players, probably not, not on the, on peak form, but I've picked this 11. Uh, Henderson back in goal, Aurier, Worrell... McKenna I've put in. I'm not, not hell to die on, but I've just put McKenna in instead of Bolly. Lodi, Yates, Mangala, Froiler, so the same midfield. And I've put down, uh, I know I said Dennis earlier, but I've put down Johnson, Scarpa, Awanyi. Question mark, question mark, question mark. What do you think about that, Tam? Are you making any changes or does that sound decent?
1: Does Lodi come under pressure from Nico Williams? I don't think we saw the best of him yesterday. I think throughout the World Cup and in the football he's played since then, Nico has looked... Really sharp. I like Aurier at right back. Yesterday was a tough day for him. I'd make a case for Nico coming in at, at left back. The Bolly thing surprised me. I think um, the, the, there was a, a desperate 15 minutes, wasn't it, at the end of the Palace game when we were trying to defend long balls? And, and he was exceptional at that point and kind of earned, it, earned the right to, to keep the shirt for a, for a bit. But for me, for a long time, McKenna and Cook were ahead of Bolly for good reason. Um, so yeah, personally, I'd, I'd like to see McKenna in over Bolly. The central midfield mix will be, as you said, out of out of pure necessity, really, given the players that are that are missing. Um, I'm Dennis over Scarpa by hair's breadth at the minute. Scarpa from the bench with the chance to earn a shirt and earn a in the side for for four or five games if he finds himself. Um, comfortable with the the level but I would make a bit of a case for Nico Williams I'd make a bit of a case for Emmanuel Dennis Scarpa would be my first change ir- irrespective of the result or, sorry the score the position we find ourselves in at 60-65 minutes um, Henderson comes back in obviously um, yeah Lodi didn't quite do enough for me yesterday what about you, Greg?
0: Any, I mean, you made a big case for Williams before this game. Uh, would he be the one for you? Any
2: other players you make a case for? Yeah, I've actually... I've wrote one down for once. It shows... Oh, good. Uh, well, let's hear yeah, it. it shows, sorry. Yeah. You know, driving can be a good thing to get. team of Super 11. Well, Hendo, obviously. McKenna and Worrell, Uh I just think McKenna was missed last night. I need to get Nico in the team. He can take set pieces. He shows... An attacking side that I don't think we have on each of those like wing-back positions. But Serge has to play because of his experience against teams like Chelsea. So, I, could, I mean, Loddy has to step back for me. It's the only way you can get Nico in this team is to you know drop Serge or Loddy, which is a shame because arguably two of our, our strongest players. Um, and then Yates, Freula, Mangala, obviously, just because that's pretty much all we've got. It's not really a choice there. Uh, Taiwo, Scarpa if he's allowed to play, and Jono, and then on the bench you've got like your O'Brien, Surridge's, Dennis's, uh, Toffolo who showed a bit again. We we have got the bench, but it doesn't look half as strong as it did a few weeks ago. So these eleven players really have got to put a massive shift in. I mean, we got all five subs on last night, didn't we? And didn't really, none of them really made an impact. So. Yeah, we, we're missing that strong bench that we're going to obviously build on in January. Either way, O'Brien's a funny one,
0: isn't he, Thames? Because he came on, uh, he played as a ten with, or a more advanced midfield, which is a little bit unusual. I mean, you know, with saying there's no one else to come in. If he, at the start of the season he was perhaps our best player before Yates broke through, what, is any you know? Would you like to see a bit more of O'Brien, or can you understand why he's dropped down the order?
1: And no one's, no one's calling for him, are they, in quite the way they were, because he had a decent start to the season. He got some minutes and looked, looked very comfortable on the ball. And, and we thought yeah, may, maybe he can be a, a true number eight box-to-box midfielder, making progressive passes and, and contributing defensively. We're still giving Freuler the nod on reputation, on what we saw at the World Cup. And the experience that he, he has, and I, again, I I don't want to get into a long debate about this. You can you can see why he would be good in a team that's on the front foot all the time. But the reality is, he's he's struggling a little bit in the way that we're we're playing at the minute. So Yates, he's won everybody round, and he's certainly not the the more offensive of the three. Uh, and I was surprised to see him in that role yesterday. So yeah, he's, he's just dropped down the pecking order a little bit for me. Like anybody, he can play his way back in but it'll be minutes from the bench at this point to do it. I don't think he's going to get the, the nod as a, a starter. He's just... Um, it's so hard, is it? The nuance and the, the, the answer is always the same. They're all good players. To be in a Premier League 25 in any team, you have to be a good player. But we, we're talking about that difference between being a, a, a 7 out of 10 and an 8 out of 10 an 8 out of 10 and a 9 out of 10. And he finds himself down the down the roster a little bit. So so no, I I don't see how O'Brien can improve our starting eleven at this point.
0: Yeah. And things can change quickly, like you say. I mean, you know, we're talking about Scarpa to death. He could be brilliant on, on New Year's Day and then we're like, oh, he's got to play the rest of the seasons. So, and then we've said that about Mangala's got to play the whole season and now he's questions against him. So things do change quickly, certainly. Let's add Greg back in. Hello, Greg. You've moved. How are you?
2: <laughs> Good. you? Don't, don't know what happened there. Don't worry, don't worry. So you got bored of
0: me. No, no. Um, Let's move on. Just got uh, 10 minutes or so, touch on a few other topics I mentioned at the
2: start. Have you got League Cup fever yet, Greg? Yeah. Although, uh, I don't know if it was Mikey in the group pointed out that if we beat Wolves, which is a massively winnable game, could you imagine two games against Man City? Uh, That could be uh, one hell of a trip. But yeah, League Cup fever... It'll be a sold-out city ground. It's cheaper tickets, like 20 quid, I think. I think season ticket holders have got to get on it today. So, uh, or tomorrow, yeah, fantastic. It shows the progression, doesn't it? Blackburn, I know it was their week 11, but we just absolutely destroyed them, didn't we? So it shows that for all the doom that's being spoke about these last few days, how we have improved as a club over the past year, you know, brush Blackburn aside and then have Wolves at home and feel like we can get to a semi-final. Yeah, I've got League Cup fever. I've just proved it to myself.
1: (laughs) If I I know Greg Mitchell, by the way, he's already booked a hotel room for the Wembley final. Um, It might be one of those rooms with free cancellation. But he's looked into rail strikes. He's got an alternative means of transport. He's arranged 50 boys to help him put out an amazing display. And come what may, Greg has got a means of (laughs) being at Wembley in February. Mm. absolutely
0: absolutely so it doesn't um, get us
1: to europe though does it i've looked into that it's a big shame <laughs>
0: does it not
2: <laughs> i don't think so don't you get into like Europa conference or something oh yeah. well, maybe I, I was told we don't so i hope I'll i'm wrong check that. i'll
0: have to check that i think it gets you into that third competition now which i'd certainly take um last topic before we go to any other business The shirt sponsorship um, issue was resolved when Forrest um, kind of, well, they gave money to um, the UN uh, refugee campaign and obviously put it on all the shirts for men and women, which is a great touch. Temps from, a you know, you work in this area. What do you make of it? A a great PR move and, and just a nice thing to do.
1: Look, it's a brilliant PR move. It's a a brilliant charity. So absolute fair play to the ownership of Forrest for for making that gesture. Let me qualify that by saying there'll be a point in time, whether it's now or in the future, where £8 million in cash, albeit from a, a gambling partner, on the front of that shirt would be very useful for our football club. So... The strategy of holding out for 10 million, it not coming, and having the strength of resolve to say, "No, we're not taking six, seven, eight million, whatever was offered," is not a business decision. And there's people at Forest, you know, charged with uh, maximising the, the the income from the club, and they they did their job. They went out there and got the market offer for that shirt, and it was turned down. And we all know the reasons for that. And our owner has every single right to, to make that decision because ultimately it's him that will plug any deficit at the football club so a fantastic outcome from a PR perspective but turning down multi-million pound offers for inventory as prime as the front of a Premier League football shirt is an odd business decision he obviously feels in the long term people know our price and won't try to undercut us with uh, offers below what he sees as the market value but there'd be a lot of commercial directors at rival Premier League clubs who would view that as a, as a strange decision. But fair play, the charitable um, gesture is a really good one. And when we get the chance, I'll be down there to get it applied to my shirt.
0: Greg, from a purely fan's point of view, what, what do you make of the decision to put the charity on the shirt?
1: Yeah, I
2: went down, started my Christmas shopping. Christmas Eve, went down to the uh, club shop, of course. Got my dad some slippers, and it was in the uh, it was in the shop front, and it looked fantastic. It was just nice to see it. You know, I mean, that's a I know it's a huge charity, but it's a worldwide recognised charity, and you know what's going on with Ukraine and in Afghanistan over the past few years. It's just a real nice, lovely gesture that that our own has done that, and I think uh, it will really help them as well. So. I know we, I've got friends at Forest who are like, got family in Ukraine and stuff at the minute. So I those things like that's going to mean a huge amount to them. And you it should be very proud of what they've done really. So yeah, I'm all for it. And I'm personally glad we've gone that way. And I, I don't know, it might affect us in the future, but it's, it's a nice touch. Uh,
0: any other business before we go, any final thoughts from your Manchester hotel temps?
1: Yeah. Well, look, um, bit of a shameless one. Thanks to my mate Holty who sorted my tickets out at Man United. Great, totally oh appreciate God. it. Second one. So I was, I was, I was with my mate Rainsy, he's over from uh, New Zealand, thought we'd have a little trip to Old Trafford. And he's a massive Holmes Under the Hammer fan. And uh, we, we bumped into Dion Dublin in the, in the bar afterwards. And he always said, if you met Dion Dublin, he was going to confront him about Holmes Under the Hammer and the means in which they film things out of sequence to make it appear that it's all planned and the build has been in the preamble, blah, blah, blah. And the reality is a lot of the scenes are filmed on the same day. And he was so in awe of Dion Dublin that he, he bottled his big opportunity to confront him about this thing that's irked him for, for years. So yeah, uh, Dion, lovely fella and enjoy his work. And it was nice to say hello and have a little photo yesterday. But, yeah, my, my little mate, Rainsy, uh, blobbed his big opportunity. I think that's a regret I'll live with for a long time. <laughs> was Do I you watch Home's Under the Hammer?
0: I love <laughs> Home's Under the
1: Hammer.
2: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> After I had surgery a while ago, I watched the same. I mean, every episode is the same. Buy a house. It's SHI. You know, it needs work. Throw some money at it, as little as you can, and then just sell it, uh, flog it on. But they're always in... Why are they always in Stoke or Mansfield? They're always in... <laughs> in <laughs> they what? can only or like Maidenhead or something they can only film in the same three places well look you've
1: got questions as well so if you ever meet Dion ask him about these things I'm sure he'll tell you but yeah opportunity missed for, for little Rainsy
0: Greg anything weirder than that to add
1: well no I, yeah I have got something actually but
2: you say why are they always in Stoke I think when you said the S-H-I-T thing I <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um, I probably won't be on again for the next couple of weeks so I want to get it in Um I've not let you down yet with music ever. So um, Beat the Streets, end of January, January 29th for Framework Charity. Uh, It's in Nottingham. It's my favourite day of the year for music. It's just everywhere. Rough Trade, Rock City, Rescue Rooms. Tickets are only a tenner. It goes straight to the charity. There's some unbelievable Nottingham bands. And this is where I haven't let you down yet. Uh, The Chase from St Anne's. They are awesome. Please go and check them out. They should be playing. So, yeah, I said I'd shout them out, and they're they're a brilliant band. So get your Beat the Streets tickets. Forest aren't playing; it's a great Sunday in Nottingham.
0: Why well, aren't you on the next few weeks? You away?
2: Well, no, we just rotate, don't we? So,
0: yeah,
2: why not be on. Cool. I wanted to get it in whilst I could. Yeah, and the showing solidarity with
1: white, isn't he? He's just taking him out, taking himself out of the frame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Right. uh, I think we'll leave it there. Some interesting discussions, interesting comments in in the comment section. People firmly divided between we're doomed, we're utter rubbish, we're going down and people who are more upbeat and more positive. I just think the picture changes from game to game. It just swings back and forth. If we're doing this after a draw or winning against Chelsea, then we'll be saying we're definitely staying up and we're all upbeat. If we're doing this after Southampton, they got tanks and they lost to Chelsea, then we're feeling very much downbeat. So let's just see how it goes. Try to enjoy the ride, everyone. Last night wasn't brilliant, but there's always another game. And thank goodness it's in the Premier League at the moment. So I think we'll leave it there. Greg, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Good to speak to you both. Temp, thank you very much.
1: I enjoyed your final thought there. Jerry Springer-esque. Very good.
0: Thank you. Thanks very much. And thanks very much (laughs) to everyone who watched along and listened as ever. Comments very much appreciated. Good reviews and subscriptions very much appreciated as well. And thanks once again to everyone who came to the live show. That was also very much. I'll see you all soon. Oh, and Happy New Year as well. She won't be back until then. So Happy New Year to
1: everyone who listens and to you boys as well. Cheers, Matt.